Oh, good morning. You know, in days of old, the pastor would stand up and say three words. He is risen. And y'all know the response. Four words. He is risen indeed. So just in case you didn't know, I say it would be appropriate. South campus, north campus, online family, even in your homes right now. How about we make a declaration together? He is risen. Amen. And because of that, believe it or not, the implications of a risen Savior are staggering. What is promised, you're probably thinking right now is impossible. But I want you to trust me, I've seen it. I I remember the first time I saw it. It was the summer of 1988, 35 years ago. My wife and I, along with a couple of friends, were driving down South Third in Abilene. We crossed South Third and Cherry, got on the way, and my wife from the back seat said, hey, that house back there is on fire. Now, I was skeptical, and I communicated my skepticism to her, but she insisted that house is on fire. So I told her, hey, babe, if you want to, we will turn around. We will go back there. We're going to find people barbecuing in the backyard. We're going to say an awkward hello to them and all that. We're going to get back on the car and I, in the car, and I'm going to look at you and say you were wrong, which tells you I was not the sharpest knife in the drawer when it came to being a young husband. Well, I turned the car around, drove back, and looked at the house and thought, It looks like it's on fire, but I wasn't going to say that out loud. Up next to the house was a ladder. I found out later they had roofers on the house that had taken an afternoon break. And I climbed the ladder, looked over the fence, no barbecue. And I looked at the roof, smoke was coming out of it. So I asked my friend to hand me the uh, water hose that was below. I, I don't know what I thought I was going to do with it, but he handed it to me. And I put water on the roof and a little smoke became a lot of smoke and flame shot out of the roof. And so I got down from the ladder. I ran to a nearby business to call the fire department. Remember, the year was 1988. You weren't carrying any cell phone in your pocket in that day. My friend went to find to see if there was anybody owning the house or around the house that could help out. So about the time I got back to the house, he had found the owner. He told me later that he asked the owner one of those like dumb questions you answer and ask in times of stress. He looked at the guy and said, hey, do you know that your house is on fire? Like the guy's going to say, yeah, I thought I'd let it cook a little while and then we would get to it. I got there when the elderly gentleman was saying, my wife is still in the house. So my friend and I, along with this elderly man, went into the side door and in the kitchen, I saw her for the very first time, a woman I'll never forget, an elderly African-American lady by the name of Ivor Lee Sue Harris. We helped her out the the side door and to the front of the house and the sidewalk and I turned around and looked and the whole roof was now in flames. I had never felt so helpless in my life. I had just finished a degree that was supposed to prepare me to be a pastor, to go into vocational ministry, but I wasn't even sure what I was supposed to do at that moment and I thought, man, what, what do we do? And I thought, I'm a pastor, you're supposed to pray. And so I said, man, would it be all right if we prayed with you? And that was the first time Mrs. Harris spoke. She was frail in body, but she was strong in voice. And she said, yes, you may, young man. And she grabbed hands. I thought, well, we're circling up. And so we circled up. And I prayed, and I would love to tell you that I prayed with like great faith and great hope, but but I didn't. I mean, I just had a little bit of stuff, and then I ended my prayer like you're supposed to. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. And I thought we were done. We weren't done. Miss Harris began to pray. And she started praying like I had never heard anybody pray. She said, Lord, you know all this stuff is going to burn down one day anyway. You know this stuff doesn't mean anything. We're not here for our comfort. We are here for your glory. We are but aliens and strangers in this land. We have seen you, oh God, deliver us from things far worse than this in days gone by. And you are going to be faithful in the days to come. That lady started having church right there. I promise you at the end, had she offered an altar call, I would have responded. And I, I did what you're not supposed to do in prayer. I peeked. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say you have to close your eyes, but I peeked. And I watched her while she prayed. And interestingly, she wasn't praying to convince herself of something. She was praying what was in her. And I remember thinking, I have a bachelor's degree in biblical studies. I have, I'm working on a master's degree in theology. I don't have what she has. I want it. About that time, the TV crew arrived and they talked to all us young people who had been there trying to, you know, trying to create a story. And then they talked to Mrs. Harris. And the reporter, and I don't think the reporter was trying to be insensitive. It's just like, what, what are you asking at times like this? Because the question came out like, basically, what are you feeling right now as you watch your whole world burn to the ground? Wrong question to ask Mrs. Harris. Because she started testifying right there of all the things God had done in her life. She started like decades ago. Started telling stories about the faithfulness of God and how God had seen her through and how God was going to see her through this. She started having church right there in front of that television camera. That reporter had no idea what to do with Mrs. Harris. All I know is this, is she was old and her house was burning down. She could say anything she wanted to say as long as she wanted to say it. The next morning on the front page of the Abilene Reporter News, I didn't know it. you can actually still find it online because some young person looked it up this morning on their phone while I guess they were bored with the rest of my sermon. But anyway, <laughs> you can see a picture on the front page of four young people and an elderly couple praying in a circle and the roof consumed with flame. That article in the Reporter News told me that Mr. and Mrs. Harris had moved into that house in 1941. So that's before we entered World War II as a nation. 47 years of their life was going up in flame. And that woman was unmoved. Now, I am sure in the days to come she had grief. I'm sure there were moments in her life where she had some struggle and wrestling going on. But listen to me, right in the midst of that tragedy... There was an overwhelming sense of something that most of us think is an impossibility. But I'm telling you, I've seen it. I have seen its reality. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I saw it that day. You may think it's an impossibility, but I will tell you it is not. Because I've seen it hundreds of times since then. I've not only tasted it, I've experienced it more and more in my life. Peace. Not that rare and fleeting moment when everything is circumstantially perfect, but I'm talking about the peace of an anchored soul. 
right in the midst of the reality of life, right in the midst of the difficulty of life, a soul that is anchored because of the reality of what we dare celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, Jesus died on a cross. He rose again on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And it's not just a token story that we go through the motions on a certain weekend once a year, but it's meant to affect our day-to-day existence, making the impossible reality in us. It is the heart of Jesus for you. little trivia. Do you know what the first words Jesus spoke to his closest followers after the resurrection? Do you know what they were? I'm not talking about his very first words. His very first words that we have recorded were to a lady by the name of Mary from Magdala. The first witness of the resurrection was a woman, which was huge in that culture. Not her. I'm talking about the closest disciples, the remaining 11 of the 12 that had followed him for three years. Do you know what his first words were? Listen to them. They matter. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so we're talking about Resurrection Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fears of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Listen to me. Jesus defeated death. That we, you and I right now, might live in increasing peace. Hear the words of the resurrected Savior to you and I. Peace be to you. Now, I will admit, there will be some people who will debate with me the significance of these words. Because they will say, hey, hey, you're making too much of the phrase. It was just a common greeting of the Jewish people of the day. Shalom Aleichem. Peace be with you. And that would be accurate. I mean, it would be like us seeing someone at Target and saying, how are you? I get that would be normal, but I would just challenge that the situation we're in is a bit different than seeing someone at Target. Remember, these men had followed Jesus very closely, given up everything for three years. They had seen him do tremendous miracle after miracle after miracle. They believed him to be the Messiah of Israel, the promised one, who they believed would then make, be, become king of Israel and would lead Israel's army to overthrow Roman occupation and actually become the greatest kingdom in the history of humanity. But then they saw him die. And just in case you didn't think he was dead, the Roman soldier pierced his side and water and blood flowed out. They knew that they knew that they knew that he was dead. And for three days they hid in fear, their minds just overwhelmed with anxiety of what has, uh, what has transpired. I mean, this whole situation turned. But then the morning of the third day, some women went to prepare Jesus' body for burial because it was too quick when they buried him the first time. And the stone was rolled away and there was an angel there and The angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Did he not tell you? And they booked it back to the people in hiding and said, hey, you're not going to believe this. So Peter and John ran to the tomb, and sure enough, it was empty, and they thought somebody stole the body. And then Mary, the Magdalene, actually said, hey, I saw him. He spoke these words to me. Come on, it doesn't take creative genius to imagine all the confusion the anxiety, the concerns that are inside of them. I mean, the passage said they were in hiding behind locked doors because they were afraid the same people who killed Jesus were gonna kill them. And then behind those locked doors, bam, he shows up. He appears to them. I seriously doubt the first words he spoke were a casual, hey boys, how you doing? Everything going okay? No. 
The first words of Jesus after the resurrection are massively significant. They shout, listen to me, the desire of Jesus for you and I, not just for those early followers, but for us, hear it. Peace be with you. A peace that is the overarching demeanor of our mind in the midst of a difficult world. Jesus defeated death so that peace could be our constant companion. And if you think I'm making too much of it, you've got to keep reading the text. Because Jesus said, Shalom, Alechem. And when he had said this, the text goes on, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. They saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. So just in case we didn't grasp the significance of it, he repeats himself. I can't imagine that they didn't remember the words that Jesus had spoken just a couple of days ago. On Thursday, before the Sunday, they celebrated the Passover together, the Last Supper, and Jesus spoke all these incredible words that you have to read on your own in John 13 through 17. But a couple of times he shared his strong desire of his heart for his disciples because he said during that Passover meal, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I, I don't give as the world gives. It's not normative. It's not what everybody else has. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. And when he wanted to summarize everything he had told them at this meal, the last thing he said to them, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus defeated death. Could we dare believe it that we could live in increasing peace? Which I know you're thinking right now, Pastor David, that sounds really good in here right now. But I don't live in here. I live out there. And it's not always Sunday in the world I live in. It's often Monday and it's often Tuesday. And we probably start feeling a sense of skepticism rise up inside of us right now. Come on. Of all the words you would use to describe out there, I bet peace doesn't hit the radar, does it? Chaotic, fearful, dreadful, depressed, stressed, angry, uncertain. We get those words, but not peace. And maybe the big reason is we have the wrong idea of peace. We tend to think peace is when things are circumstantially perfect in our life. You know, it's like, mom, when your kids are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing it with the attitude with which they're supposed to have while they're doing it, right? Not only that, they want to do more. When they finish up, they go, oh, thou mother'st of mine, I adore thee. Thank you so much for all thou hast done for me. What more can I do to bring pleasure to your heart? We think peace is when the business I lead, all the numbers are going the right direction. And every one of my employees think this is the greatest place on planet Earth to work. We think peace is when the leaders of our nation are getting along and diligently working together for the good of our nation, which has happened never. See, we tend to have this idea when we hear the word peace. And it's when life is problem-free, trouble-free, struggle-free. We think peace, honestly, as followers of Jesus, is only going to happen in heaven. But here, 
I'm doomed for trouble. But Jesus is saying the reality of heaven can be more and more ours right here in the midst of a fallen, messed up, trouble-filled world. Listen to me. What if, would you dare ask, just take a few moments, what if peace isn't about what is not, but about what is? What if peace is not about the absence of trouble, the absence of problems? What if peace is not the absence of anything, but it is the presence of someone in our lives? And I know, some of you thinking right now, that is the hyper-spiritual talk of church. That's what you guys do. But listen to me. What we're doing out there isn't working. Are you seeing our world right now? For the longest time, we thought if we had enough money and we just got enough money to enough people, we'd be fine. We've arrived. The richest people in the history of human existence is America. More money distributed among more people than has ever existed. How do you feel it's working? Is there peace? Or do we feel increasing chaos, increasing struggle, increasing uncertainty? Come on, grandparents, when you look at your kids and the world they're growing up in, what do you feel? Normal is not working. Jesus is inviting us to a different way of life. He's inviting us to that which is supernormal, supernatural. When Jesus was being tried before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, Pilate looked at him and said, hey, they say you say you are a king. Are you a king? He goes, absolutely, I'm a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. So if Jesus leads a kingdom that is not of this world, then those of us who are part of that kingdom are going to live in a way that is radically different than the norm of our world. We should not expect to hear from Jesus when he is counseling us about how to do life the same thing we're going to hear from Oprah or Dr. Phil in the afternoon talk shows. See, in God's kingdom, you, O oh God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is, notice the word, stayed on you, fixated, obsessively compulsed with the reality of God because that person trusts in you. See, through the years I've made a discovery because I've seen a lot of people walk in supernatural peace. By his grace, I've walked in it. And I've made the discovery that living in God's peace and not just talking about God's peace hinges on one thing. It's all about your focus. It's all about where we set our minds on a regular basis. See, when my life is radically focused on God, then I know deep within that I have peace with God, not because I earned it, not because I did enough good things, because Jesus died for me and I accepted what he did for me on the cross and I have become his child by faith. When my life is radically focused on God, then I know God is at work in all things. Somebody say all things. He's working in all things for my good because he loves me. I know deep within that even when I'm walking through the hellish valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When I am radically focused on God, then I know that I know that I know that he's not lost control of this world. Russia invades Ukraine. He's not lost control. Rockets fly once again from Syria and Lebanon and Gaza into Israel. He's not lost control. When words like inflation and recession 
become normative. He, he's not lost control. When you go to the grocery store and you pick up a carton of eggs and they cost $29. And you're thinking, need to get me some chickens. He's not lost control. But he is still at work in everything and he is going to bring about the perfection of his plan. He will finish it. See, when my life gets radically focused on him, the result is increasing peace. So it shouldn't shock us that if modern life does anything, you know what it does? Modern life distracts. The enemy uses the abundance of stimuli to distract us from what is best. He uses what is trivial or what is inflammatory in life. Come on, our senses are being hit all the time, are they not? I mean, it happened back in 1988 when I didn't have this thing called a smartphone. Now you got a smartphone and we're grabbing for it all the time. I'm a little like ADD and so I can find myself going all the time to my phone pulling up all sorts of stuff. I mean, we have social media that we look at. We not only have TV. I mean, back in 1988, we did have cable. 15 years before that, no cable, just three, show, three channels, right? But now you got Netflix, you got Hulu. You can binge watch a lot of stuff. You have texting, you have email, you have calendars chock full of activity. You have all this stuff. And it's saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And it's crying out for us. It's robbing our peace. You, oh God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because that person, the person who would dare do the radical to keep our mind on him is the person who really walks in faith. What if, what if we chose to step into the radical? See, it was right here that I worked diligently to try to come up with something really impressive to tell you, like something you've never heard anywhere. Couldn't find it. All I could do is start looking back at Mrs. Harris. And then all these people I've watched over the years walk in peace in the most trying of circumstances. And it hit me. We gotta do what they did. See, more than ever, I would challenge you, we need habits of faith that turn our mind's eyes towards heaven. You know what? I bet Miss Harris went to church a lot. Like back in the day, they went three times a week and they kept records. Now, I'm not saying that's the key to everything, but I will tell you this. There's something about gathering together as God's people engaging in worship together, engaging in the word that's meant to take us from a distraction back to center, back to him. We need it. That's why we do Plus Thursday. So if you're out on the weekends, you can still engage in worship. It's why we try to make as much room as we can for people to bring as many people. We need this. See, corporate gatherings are a tool. Now, I will be honest, like any tool, you've got to wield the tool for it to have any effect. If you just show up and go through the motions and don't really engage, probably doesn't help. It would be like having a hammer in your hand and seeing a nail right there that needs to be nailed in and you do nothing. You're frustrated the nail's not going anywhere. You gotta swing the hammer. But if you swing the hammer, I promise you, just the regular habit will turn your attention. I don't know about you, I need it every week. 
I needed our songs this morning. But I needed them last night. And I needed them on Thursday. we got to have the habits of faith. I've got a suspicion about Mrs. Harris that I can't prove to you. But I have a suspicion in that house that was burning down, there was a chair. And there was a table. And on that table was a Bible that was worn out. Because I bet she got up regularly and she read from that thing. She engaged it. We need to be a people who engage the word again on our own. Because even once a week coming to church, I'm going to challenge it. It ain't going to be enough. Like, we need to open the book. And some of you are thinking, I, I don't know how to read the Bible. Like, I started one time, and, man, it, it didn't make any sense. So I'm going to give you permission. Skip the first two-thirds of the Bible. You can get to it later. It's important, but it's hard. I want you to go two-thirds of the way and start with Matthew. Read Matthew through Jude. Don't go to Revelation. Revelation will wig you out, man. Um, <laughs> go back to Matthew. Read it again to Jude. This time you get to Revelation. And just remember, when you read Revelation, all it says is we win, baby. We are the victorious one. The one who came and rose victorious over death, hell, and game, he's coming again. And he'll finish what he has begun and such. You read. And I would challenge that near that place, that chair, Miss Harris, because people of old used to do this, and maybe we've missed it. I bet there's a spot where her knees had been hundreds and hundreds of times. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. She prayed for her family, and she prayed for her church, and she prayed for her city. She prayed for all these things of God. She's just a woman who prayed. Because I'm telling you, when your house is burning down and chaos is ensuing, what is really in you comes out. And what was in her was from here. The Bible says we are to be a people who pray without ceasing. So what if we just radically grabbed hold of God all day, every day, and just off and on talking to him and interacting with him? You hear what I'm saying? Guys, we need, we need community. We need Christian community where we go deeper than the Cowboys' off-season moves or whether the Rangers' fast start is toying with our emotions. You know, we're wondering, man, they got a pitching rotation. Who knows? Or the latest TikTok craze or whatever we talk about. We can talk about those things, but at some point we've got to talk about what the Lord's showing us. We've got to talk about what the Lord's doing. We've got to talk about the things he did in days gone by because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We need to be engaged in Christian community. You hearing, hearing me? And I know you may be saying, David, uh, that, that's all like really radical. Yeah, but what we're talking about, peace that transcends understanding, is that not radical? And what we're celebrating this weekend, the most radical thing ever, the God of the universe, the sustainer and creator of all became human because we so screwed up the world, he showed up. He lived a human life but was without sin or fault and the perfect one, the only one that never deserved to die, died on a cross to pay the price of justice for our sins. And he died. Before he died, when we died, without him, it means we'd be separated from God forever, paying the price for our sins in hell. But he died. He didn't stay dead. 
He rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and he holds the keys to death and Hades in his hands and said, I now have the authority to set people free from the curse of death. And he offers that victory to you and I. And the scripture says, since we have been justified by faith, by faith we can receive what Jesus did for us. And when that happens, listen to it, we have peace with God. To have the peace of God, you first have to have peace with God. You have to receive what he did in your life. But when we accept his radical love and grace and we get the peace with God, and we do the radical by living a life keeping our minds stayed on him, then the radical happens to us and we can live increasingly in peace no matter what happens. Having grown up nickel and dime in it, I felt like uh, money was gonna be the answer to all the turmoil that had been in my life. And was, I was able to purchase a business out of being out of pharmacy school just uh, less than two years. There really wasn't any peace in my life. And, uh, my wife was an alcoholic and uh, I spent most of my non-working hours in the bars myself. I was a functional alcoholic, um, which it led eventually to our marriage, um, a divorce. Fortunately, after just a couple of years of, of living a very, very worldly lifestyle, a friend of mine that came out of prison and told me about Jesus. His example of how his life had changed uh, when he came to know Christ really struck home with me. And for the first time, I really felt like I knew somebody that uh, wasn't just a churchgoer on Sunday, uh, but that really loved the Lord. One afternoon, I accepted Christ. The Holy Spirit fell on me, and He changed me overnight. For the first time, at 33 years old, I really felt like what the peace of the Lord could bring. Barbara had just uh, gone through a bad divorce herself, and the Lord put us together, and uh, we began to build uh, a family based on uh, Christian principles. You know, everybody thought I was crazy because I was 30 years old, and I was going to have a 13, a 14, and an 18-year-old child. It really worked out great for us and for the kids who, had, for the first time in their life, had a mom. When our life was, it seemed to be up at the top, uh, is when we got the call. And Vince said, uh, Barbara, Jay has just been killed. And, you know, the props were knocked out from under me, and I just handed the phone to Larry. And uh, we started on that journey of parents losing a child. Jesus really did reach out and take us by our right hand and lift us up. My pastor at that time, who was my best friend, had been able to come and be right there at the accident with us. By the time we had shared what happened with our daughter-in-law and gotten home, our church family was already immersing us in love. 
A few years later, we got the same call again. We'd been to the Fat Stock Show and Rodeo, and when we got the call that our youngest son had been found dead, I think it's in Isaiah, he writes that, if you steadfastly trust the Lord, he will give you the strength to, to make it through anything, and he'll also bring you peace. And, uh, in those tragic circumstances, with both deaths, he, he never failed us. A few years later, we were on a weekend trip to Nashville. We'd had a great time for a few days, and uh, we're getting ready to go to church there before an afternoon flight back home. I realized Barbara was having difficulty speaking, and she couldn't get her makeup on. I knew right away that she had had a stroke. I was in a pretty bad state. And at that time, I did have the sense about me to pray and say, God, help me, please. I can't stay this way. You know, I've got kids, grandkids, and a husband. Please heal me. It wasn't luck that we were in Nashville in Vanderbilt University Hospital, which is one of the number one stroke centers in the United States, was there to take care of her. A neurologist met her gurney coming off the ambulance before the day was over. She had seen six different doctors, and after 30 days, we were able to come home to our church family here. Uh, they greeted us at the airport, Yeah, our life group. I cannot imagine going through some of the things we've been through without God in our lives. God has been so good. Yes, there have been valleys, but there have been hills. And he tells us in this world we will have problems, but he has overcome this world. Come on, church. Would you listen to those of us who are a little bit long in tooth? It exists. It not only exists, I would challenge us to become our norm. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It doesn't mean that there won't be sadness. I was talking to some close friends of mine after the first service, who had lost a child themselves about 14 months ago. And they said, you know, it's interesting. It's hard to convince people that you can have sadness and peace at the same time. That you can have both joy and peace simultaneous to one another. But he said, that's how our life is right now. They said, it's true. There is a peace that transcends understanding. And I have no doubt that everyone engaging right now wants it. I think it's something God's placed deep within each of us. We've just kind of dismissed it as an impossibility. Hear the first words of the risen Savior. Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. There's a different kind of peace, a greater peace 
a peace that transcends understanding. And I think we would be absurdly foolish if we didn't stop for a few moments and ask him for it. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Everyone, North Campus, South Campus. Would you take a moment? I, I challenge you. Pray. Pray. If you would be one who said, I, I don't have a lot of peace. I get it. That's the norm of our world. I think it's time we live in an abnormal, supernormal kind of way. Resurrection power. To have the peace of God permeate our existence. Listen to me. It starts first with peace with God. To know that my life is right with Jesus, with God through Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. If we can make ourselves right with God on our own, there was no reason for Jesus to come. And everything we're talking about is an absurdity. We couldn't fix ourselves. We couldn't do enough good works. We couldn't do enough religious things. We couldn't go to church often enough because that's not the purpose of church. The only way we can be right with God is to be justified by faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word believe, justified by faith, means to give my life over to him, to trust him with the totality of who I am. It is to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I can't fix myself. I deserve death, I deserve hell. But I believe Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. I say yes to his offer of salvation. Forgive me, oh God. Forgive me of my sins, make me new. Make me a new person. And I commit myself to walk with you. And when that happens, instantly there's a change. And if you've made that decision to follow Jesus, you ought to be thanking him right now like nobody's business. But some of us are saying, man, I've never made that decision. I'm not right with God. I don't have peace with him. And I'm telling you right now, you can. I don't care what it is you've done. I don't care how messed up your life has been. What he did is greater than what you have done. And he offers to you life right now. All you got to do is say yes. And I'm going to give you a chance here in a moment to say yes. To say yes of being right with God. If you've never given your life to Jesus, here in a moment when I count to three, I hit three, you with boldness, raise your hand up. You tell the devil, I don't belong to you anymore. I belong to Jesus. All the people that are looking, because I'm just going to tell you, they peek even when I tell them not to. Doesn't matter. You embrace Jesus. and You become his. Or maybe you would say, David, I, I did that a long time ago. Some of us decades ago, but I've been living on my own. I'm a prodigal. It's time for me to come home. And I'm coming home today. You accept it as well. So if you're not right with God and you say, I want peace with God, I want to be justified by faith, I want to say, Jesus, I am your follower. I commit myself to you. With boldness, right here, right now, without hesitation, you tell Jesus yes. You ready? One, two, three. Put your hand up right now. You need to accept him. Come on. Do it. Yes. Praise be to God. Yes. Yes. Man, that is awesome. Anybody else? Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, I'm not finished here yet because we all got another prayer, but I want everybody to look at me for a second. 
These men and women who made that decision, they deserve a round of applause, a shout. Praise be to God. Come on. If you raised your hand just then, you have a next step to take. Your next step is baptism. That's where we publicly confess Jesus. What you do to get ready for baptism, we actually have a class, and we'll help you get to that class. All you have to do is take that phone of yours. There's some positive use for a phone. Take the camera, and inside the Park News, that little newsletter we gave you on the way in, there's a QR code. You use that camera on that QR code, it's going to take you to a brief little form I want you to fill out before you leave. And you say, man, I need to take my next step. And this week, our team is going to get in touch with you. And we're going to talk about um, that next step and you making that confession with Jesus. Okay? It's awesome. Now, for the rest of us, I want us to do something before we go. I want you to bow your heads again. I know you want peace, the peace of God that transcends understanding. Peace be with you. We need to receive it. And I believe God wants to show each of us a habit of faith he wants us to walk in. One habit. Now, I know there's lots of them, but you need to choose one. Some of us, it's time to get back into church. And if your hesitancy is, man, that sounds great because you want me to come to this church, then go to another church. I don't care. I want you in church. There's dozens of great churches in our community. Here's the good news. You know how many churches Jesus has? He has one. One body. There's a lot of locations, a lot of names. So if this isn't your place, you say, man, you yell too much when you preach. I will yell next week too. It is who I am. I don't like the lights. I don't. Then go to another one. I'll help you. I will help you find a church that fits you. I just want you in a church. Maybe that's your step. It's time, like regular, like weekly. It's time for that habit. Maybe it's time for the word. And he's like, I got to open my Bible. Like I need to see Matthew 1 tomorrow. You say yes to that. Maybe it's, man, I got to start praying. Some of us need to turn some stuff off. Some of us are becoming so angry because we're listening to talk radio and the news all day long. Turn it off. Drawing your peace. Some of us need to get off social media. We're spending way too much time. What's the Lord showing you? Now, right where you are, I want you to say yes. Jesus, I hear that. I want to take a step into that. And I want to pray for you that you have grace to live out what he's shown you, okay? So if you are with, in all seriousness saying, Jesus, I want to live out new habits, specifically one habit, so I can keep my mind more stayed on you because I want to worship you by walking in peace. I want you with confidence and boldness, without hesitation right now. Say, Jesus, I'm committed to it, and I need your grace to live it out. You ready? You raise your hand. One, two, three. Put them up all over. Come on. May he give you peace. Jesus, give us grace to live the kind of life that would honor you by having peace that overflows from us to many, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.